Let me see you put them up Reach the sky, touch the stars up above Cause it's one time for the underdog One time for the underdog Imagine you being somebody that grows up in Newport Beach and all you do is you like music, you like party, you're in the EDM world and all of a sudden you say, you know what, I'm gonna try to DJ this thing and see what happens with it. Fast forward 10, 15, 20 years later, you're getting paid $30 million a year. That's exactly who we're gonna be talking to in this episode, Steve Aoki. His peers, like Tiesto, calls him that, you know, he's a whole different guy from a different planet. There's not even a guy like him in the, in the world. Afrojack says he changed the game. They call him a beast. The guy's the hardest working guy in business. Guinness Book of World Record contacts him to say no one works harder than him. He's the hardest working musician in the world. Forbes ranked him top five highest paid DJs. I think $29.5 million in 2017. That's what we're sitting with today. So with that being said, Steve, brother, thank you for taking the time, man. This is really cool to sit here and talk to you, especially after watching your documentary. Thank you. Uh, I got to tell you the story about how I watch your documentary. So we just moved into a new house, okay? And I obviously, I know your music, but we moved into this new house. The the team says, Pat, you got to watch this documentary. You're a documentary guy. You'll flip out when you watch this documentary. I said, okay, I'll get to it. So I get on the Netflix phone and it's 12 o'clock last night. I'm sitting in the bathroom, which is where we watch most of our videos. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my dog to my left, all the kids, everybody asleep. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, I'm getting emotional. I got tears coming down and I'm getting fired up and I'm getting jacked up. And then I comments your mom makes, your dad. I mean, that's gotta be one of the best documentaries out there with your well, life thank story. You. So, thank you. So with that being said, prior to us getting into some of the business stuff, what you've done, where you're at, family, your father, Rocky, your mom, how did this whole thing start? Like, did you start off day one? Obviously, I know the story, but for some that don't, did you all of a sudden one day say, I wanna be a DJ? How did that come about? Yeah, you know, my story is a little different because I think a lot of kids in the festival games, they're in the crowd, they're. 14, 15, and they, they, they see it on YouTube and they're like, I want to be a DJ, I want to be on that stage. But my my world came very differently. I, I came from the rock world and I was playing in rooms this size. You know, when I first started, I was in high school and I would play to as many people as in this room, literally. I would literally play to like five people and their parents, five kids, they're all my friends. And that's really how it all started for me. Like I, it's all, for me, the most important thing I learned is that the barrier of entry to get in was conceivable. Because like when you're a kid in the crowd, you, you look at the stage, you're like, the barrier of entry for me to become an artist is impossible. Mm. I could never be as talented. Yeah. I could never I could never have the courage or I could never have the voice or I Did never you have think the that were you thinking that like while you're looking at everybody? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean I think I think everyone does. Yeah. I think everyone's like the barrier of entry is way too difficult. I, I don't have the training. I don't I don't I'm, I'm not like trained or mm-hmm. I don't have the schools that I found this um, a really vibrant underground scene of uh, musicians and artists. This uh, is in Newport? This is in Newport Beach, okay. yeah. It was, uh, the, the scene itself was, it's called the hardcore scene, and it's uh, very specifically the straight edge hardcore scene, which is a like really a drug, like drug-free, all about drug-free lifestyle, and you just go to shows. The way you get cool points in the scene is not like with like, like dope sneakers and like a dope tracksuit uh, that you're wearing, but it's like make a zine. Uh, put on a show, start a band, become a guitarist, you know, and you're becoming like, um, because it seems so small, it's like a religion. It's like we are this small church mm-hmm. and we need to expand our, our, you know, our base by 
giving out like flyers. And How old are you at this time? Like when you're going? I was like 15, 16. Okay. You know? So that's what I ended up doing. I was making zines. I, I picked up guitar. I picked up a microphone. I picked up a way to record music. I started a band with like my friends that didn't know how to play that's instruments. That's so amazing. We'd set up everywhere. We'd set up in like in like a plaza, and until the cops came, and we'd just grab our drum set and run away. <laughs> like literally, we'd set up everywhere. We'd play everywhere, and if five people came out, we were super excited. And then I got to the point when I went to college, where we I started touring, and we I went from five people to playing for 20 people. And I was so happy. Still and, 20 people. Yeah, That's... like, you know, like as 1920, I was like, all right, we're gonna drive 10 hours to Albuquerque, and we made $20 at the door, and we made, played in front of 12 people. But and that's I was amazing like, yeah. that you're doing that. It was my heart, it was my passion. It wasn't about money, it wasn't about, uh, you know, I mean, I was a kid. I just really believed in music. Really now, who were you in high school? Were you, were, you, were you a cool cat in high school? Did everybody know who Steve was in high school? No, I mean, I, no, I mean, I definitely stood out because I was only like one of the few Asian people in the school. You know, when I was younger, I was bullied and I was, you know, the whole story. Uh, I'm not gonna really get into that, but one of the most important things that I recognize now is that when I was a kid, um, when you're when you're like one of the few that look different or are different or ethnically different or whatever it might be, you might think that life is hell, right? Mm -hmm, you might mm -hmm. think that like, and some, some kids, unfortunately, take their own lives because they, they feel so pushed out to the side and where pe people say the, the horrible, most horrible things you could possibly imagine. So when you're an Asian kid, if you're a, 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 like a kid of color, you're, you're someone that's different and you get made fun of, it's, it's like almost okay and to be accepted yeah. as that. So for me, I grew up under this guise of, well, I, I, I'm not equal to, you know, my peers. You would think that. Yeah, because I mean, like it just was, yeah. that's how it was. So my mom was like, we have to fit in here. We have to fit in. So don't cause any trouble. Don't rock the boat. The thing is like, you always find the gem in the, in the, the rough mm -hmm. places. Mm -hmm. And I was able to find this scene that was like a bunch of like outcasts. Every song, every lyric from the bands that I listened to was about like, this is like, we're the outcasts. We're the, we're the people that don't fit in. Hey, this is our world. This so is our who community. did you listen to? Who were you listening to at that time? Um, Gorilla Biscuits, which is like, I got my first tattoo. I was like so excited when I was 18. I was like, I got my first <laughs> tattoo and Gorilla Biscuits is a band that like kind of was one of the leaders of that sound. Um, and it's like a way for us to feel like, hey, we are something uh, like no one can, no one can tear us down. Here's, use, use an instrument, be a voice for yourself, be a voice for your community. And, um, and I just took that same the same kind of process into every business into every brand building into my music like into an underdog everything. mentality type of thing or more of this kind of like diy mentality where it's diy in my way of of understanding it is you you must you have to figure out how to make ends meet with the resources in front of you so there's no excuses if you have if you have a dollar to your name, you gotta learn how to use that dollar to, to actually become a star on have stage. Have you always been a hustler like that? Like even when you were a little kid or, or did that hustle part come later yeah, on? The hustle part, no, the hustle part started because I found a scene that encouraged that. It was all about that. Got like, it. You wanna, you wanna get your respect? Then you gotta figure it out. I graduated from college and uh, I moved to Los Angeles and I was throwing parties and I had my label. I, I started a label when I was in college and uh, no investment, no marketing plan, no investors, you know, very much like, like a passion project to support artists. 
and I found a few artists that blew up. And, um, and you know, not, like no advance, no money. And by the way, your first place, your first office, it is very interesting. So that's the actual first headquarters of your, your operation. Yeah, my first headquarters was, uh, I'm not sure what was in the dock, but my first real headquarters was an apartment that's 900 square feet. I shared with my girlfriend at the time, and we had 13 interns working for me because they were for free because I didn't have any money. 900 right? square foot place. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> tiny. And then finally I got my first investors, which were, um, Benji and Joel from Good Charlotte, uh, who um, I, I taught them how to DJ back then. I would hang out with them. They were like my really close friends then. And they were in a successful band. And they're like diehard believers of you, by the way. Yeah, they're just a really, really good people. Yeah. They're like, we see what you're doing. You're, you're, you know how to sign, you know how to find, identify talent. And uh, we really love the culture and community that you're creating and we want to help you. So they helped take me out of my apartment and put me into this like almost abandoned like little house and I just threw all my friends in there some of us lived there and uh and we had this like this such a really cool small little community in in Hollywood that eventually became literally the place where you want to break artists it was at the Dimac parties that's like, amazing from Kid Cudi like Drake was coming through to Kanye was coming through to uh, Skrillex was at the Will I Am Will I Am Will I Am was there every show and then I got to meet all these artists because we were breaking you know we had MIA's first show all these new artists that were coming up um, Kesha's first shows like from pop to hip hop to electronic it was the culture of breaking music. The big wigs would come through, a Jimmy Iovine showed up, like, like, you know, I was meeting up with labels, they would come to me to break their artists. And then, you know, some of the guys were like, I'll take a risk with you and do music with you. And I was like, let's, let's get in the studio. And uh, so I was lucky I had that platform that we had to build our own little culture mm -hmm. that just spawned into, you know, something that was, that was actually truly underground because back then there was no social media. I mean, the social media was like MySpace, so there's no Snapchat. What year is this, by the way? It's like 2005 to 2009. And, and uh, if you want to hear about the underground, if you want to know about the underground, the only way is you have to go into these clubs, these small little places. Now it's not so, you don't have to really go there. It's everywhere. It's just like, you want to know about something that's breaking, you go online. And, and before, you'd have to go and like people would travel around the world just to come to our little parties where where you'd see like all these different collaborations music influencers and people that would all really value the time there and and then I would I would be able to work with some of these artists and that's were you, how I was able to start Were you at all career. thinking about money? Were you at all thinking about what we're going to build, the business we're going to build? Was that was that on your mind as well? Was it just purely art, creativity, you know, let's produce something nice here together? You know what? Even to this day, 2018, it's always been about creativity. It's never been about money. I mean, at the end of the day, of course I am thinking business now because I'm at a larger scale and I have to think about the business. But if I put the money before the creativity, then the authenticity like almost gets blocked. You know, so I have to really, because my business is all about authentically being creative. That's, that's my business. It's like, I just, I want to be authentically creative and share that experience. Because at the end of the day, whatever I do is about, I am, I am making creations, whether it's product, fashion, this is not mine, but like fashion to um, music to a live experience, I'm creating um, something that, that I'm sharing with you. Now, if I'm like, I need money first before you even 
see this. You know, if I start thinking like that, then I'm gonna lose that that kind of the Edge spirit. Of yours. Of it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, like it's you know, money will come, and I've realized that. And in 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 some, in some cases, money doesn't come, and I'm okay with that. And I have to go back to that and go like, this isn't about money. This is about the love of what I do. And sometimes you have to stop and think about that. And and as a businessman, you know, you have to like. Just take a step back like this isn't about dollars and cents this is more about just just the pure love of creating and and sharing your art let's transition to a whole different uh, topic here one of the things that i'm fascinated with is stories like parents i like my own family i grew up in a very weird family complete like one on this side one on the complete my mother's side they were communists my dad said they were imperialists in iran confusion like i grew up in the most craziest environment then you tell your story and i'm sitting there saying oh my gosh so your mom, on one end, purely love. You know, she believed in you. Totally, you can do this. Go get him. Do what you want to do. You can do this. You can pull this off. You can see this woman, your mother, loves you, believes in you. You can do anything wrong by your mom. And then your dad, on the complete opposite end, you know, where it was high expectation, you know, a possible shadow. How was that dynamic with your parents? Man, yeah, when you say it like that, it's, tr it's true. Like, without both of them, there's no, like, I am the byproduct of these two very different personalities. And thank God that, that my mom raised me because I think the most important thing is you have to be founded with that love. You have to be founded with that human connection. And uh, my dad lacked the human connection. He was very, very, very like almost, I wouldn't say cold, but he was very Japanese, very masculine, very tough love. And you never ask for a thing from him. You would never dare, he's very samurai spirit. Like, you never ask anything from oh, him. Oh, you, 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 uh, you couldn't. I mean, one of the most important lessons I learned from him, someone that, that had wealth, had the opportunity, had everything that he built. The, one of the, the most important things I, I got from him is that he actually didn't give me any financial you know uh, like here's your payday here like you need some help here's some money so he never actually like gave me those handouts and I had to learn on my own like as if I didn't have this insane like a uh, superhero kind of rock star extravagant because that's know, common guy. you know yeah. so a lot of time when the dad has the money it kind of gets you know oh yeah 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 of course that's, you know, like, that's the part of your yeah. story that I think it's people resonate with like, this guy didn't he comes from money but he didn't get you didn't get money to finance your own company when he first got oh, started oh absolutely not but I mean I, I do have to say he helped me he paid for half of my education in college so I give him credit for that my mom paid for the other half UCSB the UC system awesome education for very I mean it was only 13,000 a year you know, this is what year? This is uh, 90... This is 95 to 2000. So as far as I'm, I, I could be, you could fact check that, but I think it was like less than 15 grand a year. Um, That's UCSB. For a really it's a great solid education. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he, he covered the education. Uh, my mom bought me my car, a Suzu Rodeo that I like drove mm -hmm. to the ground. So something about your dad, something like some of the things I, I heard him say. Uh, by the way, believe me, uh, I relate. A lot of the life, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm watching, I relate to this. A part, I think your dad said one time, uh, first of all, for some people that don't know who your dad is, he's the founder of Benihana, he was a champion wrestler, I think he was doing speed boating a couple times, yeah, he, he crashed, yeah. almost killed yes, himself. Exactly. There was a story about him in a hot air balloon going from Japan to the US or whatever, record, yeah. broke a world record. Yeah. 
you know, it, all these other things that he did. He part. He was, he's been on Oprah Winfrey's show. You know, he was on all these Tony Curtis. I think it was yeah. uh, all these other names. So here, Muhammad Ali. All these names. He said something one time, and I'm like, you know, I'm really curious. How do you process him when you watch him say that? I think one time he said, I work 16, 17 hours a day. Business comes number one, and health comes number two, and family comes number three. Is that what he meant, or did he say it because, you know how sometimes media takes the message yeah. somebody and they kind of spin it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what he said, or is that really what he believed? He lived that way. He was, he was like, um, he wasn't a typical father, you know, that was there, like, you know, making sure, like, my mom was my father and my mother, like, as far as the, what you, the expectation of what a parent is. He wasn't that, so I'm, that's why I'm saying, thank God my mom raised me, because I, I'd be a different person if I was, with my dad, but yeah, he was business first. And to me, like, the thing is, it's like, when I see that, when I saw that, I just saw it for the, for the, for the first time in the documentary, I, was, I started laughing. So you had yeah, never I, seen him say that before? No, no, I never, I, yeah, I never saw the interview, you know? So I, um, I and the, my first reaction, I was laughing because he was just unabashed in a way <laughs> where you just like, you, you almost have to laugh. It's like so gnarly and you have to laugh about it, you know? So I was laughing and I'm, now I'm looking at other people because I watched it for the first time in Beacon Theater um, with like 3,000 other people uh, and for the Tribeca Film Festival. And I looked over and people were like, oh my God, like that's horrible. I'm like, and I'm laughing. I'm like the only one laughing, you know? I'm like, oh, shit, this, this is like, I, I should, shouldn't be laughing, but that's just how he is. Wow. Like, so he like, was normal. You're like, I don't yeah, know why people are surprised. This like, is the normal guy I'm used to. That's how he is. He's just like one of those guys that just says it how, how, it's, wow. how he thinks it. So there's a part of the interview where, part of the documentary where you are, you're driving your team, you're telling your manager, you know, this is your job, you're doing this. So, you know, sometimes, we see the final product, right? We see the we see the art, we see right, the art, right, we right. see the music, yeah. we see the entertainment. We're like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing, throwing cakes, you know, fifteen hundred cakes around, and all the stuff <laughs> that you're doing. But then behind the final product, you tour in two hundred and fifty. He was saying two hundred and fifty tour stops per year. That's yeah. that leaves you hundred days to yourself. Is there a part of it on behind closed doors of driving your team in a way where your expectation of the team is high it's and extremely high? So how do you balance that with the fun and staying loose and at the same time, hey, we got to go out there and do our job and do it right? Because oh. there's a part of it that's perfectionist side, right? The, the fun part is a very small part of the day. It's actually just. 90 minutes to two hours that's it the other hours we're, we're going to work and the team has to operate at that level so i have a high expectation i almost get that I definitely get that from my father there's no doubt that like that that side for my father has come down and i and i have that high expectation and once my team meets that high expectation then i'm then i'm like i feel solid because you know, like I think a common phrase for a lot of CEOs, a lot of entrepreneurs out there is that your team, you have to be the dumbest person in the room if, you have, if you're, you're gonna have a successful company. You know, if you're the CEO, you wanna be not the smartest person in the room. You want your team to be the sharpest sword in the game. So another thing also I learned is that, is as far as building a team, I look at passion before skill set. Like you have to have a level of skill set, mm -hmm. of course, just just enough where you know you can grow and nurture that. But you have to have the passion. And you have to have to drive to learn and be hungry. And and I also learned that hunger doesn't also just come with with the youth. I'm 40 years old now, and I'm fucking hungry as I've ever been. Seriously? Yeah, still. So, tell me why. Because like there's, I, I look at like all the the things that I still need to do. 
and there's still so much more. So as if I'm starting from wow. zero. Wow, so that hunger's still there. That yeah. fire's still in the belly. And the more I travel, the more I learn that I, I know very little about the world. And I, and I become you know, hungry to be, become that student and, and embrace and absorb culture and absorb uh, and, and learn that I need to educate on all these things. And it's all gonna, it's all gonna reverberate into my business, whatever my business might be. Because the way, the way I am as a person, I think this is also part of my success is that the minute I feel something that's, that's like really powerful, inspirational to me, mm-hmm. the, the, the minute I feel that way, I'm immediately going into my head and how can I construct this in a way to share it with the world? And I share, I share that feeling in different mediums, through music, through fashion, through the live experience, through different products, through whatever it might be that all come from this abundant amount of inspiration. And I can only get that by being around people, connecting with people, um, seeing different things that just like enlighten me. And, uh, and then, like I said, it goes right back to you me. You see it? Yeah, me going, I need, I, I still got so much more to go, you know, and it, and it drives me, it drives me and it, and it keeps, keeps me hungry. So, so that's the part where you're, you're always in recreation mode, you're always recreating yourself, constantly right. in the recreation mode. Well, uh, Steve, you, you, you got to be one of the most fascinating people I've met with, man. I mean, seriously, you're just very uh, interesting on the creative end and also on the execution end. And you can see it here right now with the team that you put together. Brother, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us. Truly, thank you. you. Thanks everybody for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.